eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. everybody and welcome to Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm the Filthy Wizard and I'm casting a horny spell on uh, me, the Bruiser. <laughs> My l- tiny loincloth is struggling against the strain of this horny spell. <laughs> I'm Jake Young and uh, guess what? Uh, we're, we already talked about uh, disruptive robot-based anime before in our Absolutely. legendary Gundam episode. Oh, my God. People stopped. A homeless man stopped me on the street and was like, Gundam? <laughs> Gundam? And I think he was talking about the episode. Not completely sure. <laughs> but get that out of the way. We have another subversive giant robot show <laughs> that made even more money. The, the, the giant robot show that flipped the script on anime itself, arguably. Jake Young, we are talking today about Neon Genesis Evangelion. Fly. It's it's nice that they ended always on like a very calming, calming song. And I love how they started the show with a very upbeat uh, song. And the name of that song was A Cruel Angel Thesis. It always made me laugh. And I think that that's actually a really good sort of overall, like almost a metaphor for the whole show. This sort of like shiny, happy rapper. And and the inside is just a pool of psychological trauma and and, um, (laughs) religious symbolism and not and just craziness, just dark craziness. Um, I I think it's almost key that like uh, we we went over it in the Gundam episode, but it it bears repeating that uh, the when you think of Japan and giant robots, there's two separate genres. There's real robot, which is kind of Gundam and it's based on like military tech and like kind of all the technicalities. If you see a lot of like pistons and levers, that's probably a real robot show. But uh, there was also the super robot genre, which is dumb. Like, think Power Rangers, <laughs> think uh, uh, Mazinger. It's always just like space aliens getting rocket punched. And it's, uh, you know, always like a bright-eyed young kid. These were toy commercials. These were, I'm trying to think of, like, if if Gundam was, like, Batman the Animated Series, all these super robot shows were, like, street sharks. Just forgettable, disposable, and the average Japanese kid watched hours of this stuff. Yes, absolutely. And one of those kids was, uh, went by the name of Hideaki Anno. And I think in order to understand Neon Genesis, you really have to understand the man behind Neon, Neon Genesis, mm-hmm. and that would be Hideaki 
Hideaki Anno, who was uh, quite the otaku. Do you want to describe uh, otaku, uh, Jake? Uh, well, traditionally, um, the word otaku, uh, if uh, it usually it meant uh, one's home, and it's it's based on the idea that people have a singular obsession. There were train otaku, there were model building otaku, there were anime otaku, and um, the emergent kind of otaku culture was based around these fan conventions where people could celebrate all of their favorite influences from robots to toys to uh, Western movies to fantasy novels. And it was kind of the precursor to what we understand as the whole Comic-Con culture, mm. especially like the large like events that we yes. know it as. And actually, um, that one of those large events would come into play for a big part of Ano's development in his career in the early stages. He was born in May of 1960 in Ube Yamaguchi, Japan. He was a very shy... Old Ube Yamaguchi. Old Ube Yamaguchi. <laughs> I arrived met many a shoe salesman from the Ube Yamaguchi there. Five sandals for a yen. <laughs> At Ube Yamaguchi. And you better take a bite out of that yen to make sure it's real. Um, yen are cookies. Um, so uh, anyways, he was a shy kid. Um, he he was, uh, he hated lunchtime, which was a weird situation. He dealt with a very bad clinical depression and he was also, again, uh, an otaku, especially for or sort of, you know, big giant mech cartoons and stuff like that. There's a really fun, like, home movie that he did for, like, a school project where he plays uh, Ultraman. Um, and you can watch some really great uh, footage of that on YouTube. Wait, a shy kid who watched a lot of cartoons and was worried that no one would sit next to him during lunch? I have no idea what this man's life was like. <laughs> what an unrelatable turd. He hated lunch, actually, because he, he's a vegetarian. Um, and But he loved milk. And for some reason, he just did not sit with. He just didn't. He always had to throw his food away or some situation like that. A sensitive stomach. Yes. <laughs> Again, <laughs> who is this weirdo? So, anyways, he ends up going to Osaka University of Arts, um, and there he ended up actually getting expelled from school, both because um, or, 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 or uh, kicked out of school. I don't know if I would say expelled. He, I think he was having a problem getting funds together, but also he's working with a small crew of people on these intro animations for a big convention. And those would be the Daikon 3 and 4 opening animations. And again, mm-hmm. you can look this up on YouTube. These are these were the first sort of animation projects that um, Ano got involved in with his crew that would, that would go on later to form Gainax. And his I, crew was... I've uh, actually... Uh, you should actually take the time to watch Daikon yes, 4. It's Daikon awesome. IV. Mm-hmm. Because it is a landmark... Uh, achievement in anime, uh, especially in terms of uh, the confluence of influences and references. The thing is packed wall to wall from every single nerd thing possible at the time. Uh, and there's all these incredible singular animation shots, which at the time blew people's minds. Like people did not associate these like like tracking shots and parallax and yes. like swooping kinetic visuals. And uh, it literally like blew up as a cultural phenomenon. This three minute short set to ELO. Set to ELO. Yeah, I it, love ELO. It's, yeah, me too. I yeah, oh totally, dude. It was it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had to do that. Um, and and the, those fellow students were Hiroyuki Yamaga and Takami Akai. Um, and they would go on to form Gainax, which would give us uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. And and the, and you, you just brought up the point. The fact that it was just a small group of kids mm-hmm. in their, like, dorm room 
creating this thing really blew people's minds, these sort of level of artistry that went into these. I mean, it just, it looked, it came off like a big budget anime production and it was made in a tiny room by a group of a few people and that really blew people away. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, a, a weird piece of uh, Hideaki Anno ephemera is one of his first pro gigs was working with uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Yes, I was. Yes, I was just about to bring he, uh, that up. To he you. answered an ad in the back of a fan magazine yep. and was responsible for the uh, goopy half fetus god monster from Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Nausicaa Valley of the Wind was sort of uh, struggling. It was it was a really crazy production process for them, and they were de- in desperate need of last minute animators. So they put out an ad in the fa- uh, animation magazine Anime Animage or Animage. Mm. Either way, right? Whatever, we'll go with the Animage because it's the Wizard and the Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Anno saw it, and and uh, he actually went to the film studio, and uh, Miyazaki was so impressed with his work, he actually gave him some of the more bulky, kind of more high-end uh, scenes of the film, and, and they formed a partnership, uh, or a friendship, rather, that they still hold to this day. It's weird that uh, he got his start drawing an unsettling, gross, primordial <laughs> monster. Who knew? Maybe that would come in handy later. <laughs> we'll see. And as I said, uh, Gainax um, would end up being formed in December of 1984. Um, their first feature-length film was called, of course, uh, Royal Space Force, The Wings of Haniyamase. <laughs> mm-hmm. The series that he worked on, Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, which was, ha- <laughs> I know, right, which was handed down to him, and uh, he had very little creative control over the project. Um, he fell into a deep, deep, Depression. I remember now, being a young, like, anim- like VHS era anime kid, and uh, like seeing that series in, oh, like, really? in the Viz catalog, uh-huh. and just like everything from the title to like the, I just it was just New <laughs> City. Yeah, I could not give. T- I I was actually shocked uh, in cursory research, being like, oh, he worked on that thing. <laughs> It was just a weird, weird Well, piece. at least, it, you know, it did spiral him into a horror. So it makes sense. It makes sense that the thing that I just felt nothing for made him feel nothing. <laughs> so, um, according to Yasuhiro Takeda, Ano agreed to a collaboration between King Records and Gynex. While drinking with a King representative, um, the guy pretty much just said, make anything, just something, anything. And that's when he started developing um, the new series, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, and uh, really, it was just a lot of him writing down his what he was going through. And, and it makes so much sense if you watch the show, which we're about to kind of get into the thick meat mm. of what this show is all about. Juicy child meat. Jake. Uh, and honestly, uh, adding a weird sexual overtone to the fact that there are children's in this is exactly what Neon Genesis is yeah. about. There's there's all these themes in like the super robot genre. All these like children's anime tropes, like the plucky young pilot that's chosen to like help save the world and like the cute girl and like the 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 unwor- otherworldly monsters and like the friendly you know technicians and like leaders that help them out back at the base and there's there's all these like very almost burned into the psyches like into the patchwork of anime that Evangelion just piece by piece tears apart and uh, we talk we talk about the psychological depression we talk about uh, we're gonna get into a lot of it but it's really key. I honestly believe this I this is what I was thinking of on the way to the train that the exact way that Evangelion captures just, like, the fucked-up-itness of, like, emergent first-world, like, teenager, teenageness, 
I don't know if there's like going to be a story like that ever again yeah. in our lifetime. I feel like we've, because of Evangelion, we've like examined that like, man, it sure sucks because you're supposed to be a grown up and have responsibilities, but you're just horny and confused and scared all the time. <laughs> and Evangelion tapped into these like dark inner emotions that never really were addressed in anime before in the guise of this totemic like baseline children's format and I, de- I definitely want to kind of describe a little bit more of the ins and outs of, of of what the whole story was we should probably do that but before we get to that you bring up such a good point because um at that time as well anime was in a slump and japan was in a big financial slump and really like all of the things you just described these big mech animes and stuff pro- might not still exist if it weren't for the revitalization that they were mm-hmm. given by Neon Genesis Evangelion and, and the great works of art that came in within the anime um, genre after Neon Genesis Evangelion. It paved the way to allow people to 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 do make interesting choices, to be introspective, to to explore religion and psychology within the guise of these plucky young kids and their big crazy robots. People credit it with ushering in that golden age of '90s anime that, like we we talk about sometimes, stuff like all basically all the stuff you watched on Adult Swim, Cowboy Bebop, and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the up production budget, the more mature themes, they were all proven to be like marketable and memorable because of Evangelion's success. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the story, just the people have never heard of this show before or or maybe have heard but but haven't really and only dabbled. Shinji Ikari was just go. a normal boy growing up. <laughs> I must post- have run away. I must have run away. I must have run away. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> uh, normal boy growing up in post-apocalyptic Tokyo. Tokyo 3. Um, <laughs> after the second impact happened, uh, essentially... Um, the- a meteor had struck the earth and unleashed terrible monsters across <laughs> the region. And those monsters are called angels and they come from our Lord God. Yeah, that that was like number <laughs> one. Oh, it's so many juicy, like, this is just raw, there's, like, angry teen bait. Number so one, much. instead of spooky aliens, they're literal angels that may or may not be the wrath of God trying to erase humanity for its own sins. Yes. And humanity, in response, just builds robots to try and fucking kill the angel. Yeah. I feel like we should get, like, the... Like the base story And okay. then break apart all the ways It like just ripped it apart So Shinji Ikari is called upon by his father Who runs Nerve Now Nerve is um, sort of the military Japanese military force Marcus what does Nerve stand for by the way? Uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a military force Nerds eating raw vagina <laughs> I mean <laughs> Is the opposite with- of what it stands for Either way until uh, uh, While Marcus looks for that Um uh, Gendo Ikari, Shinji's father, calls upon him because he needs to pilot these robots because apparently only certain kids who have connectivity sort of to these giant biomech monster robots that need to protect Tokyo 3 from these angels that are coming down trying to destroy the planet. Um, uh, uh, so he calls upon him, and there's also, uh, they're, they're called uh, Avas, by the way, these these giant mech robots, and Rei Ayunami um, is another pilot of a different Ava, and she's real quiet and weird and sort of like, um, you know, uh, apparently very attractive to a lot of men. She sells very well. They call her the premium girl, because if she's put on the cover of anything, it's sells very well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Nerve yeah. isn't an acronym, by the way. It stands for nothing. Oh, oh there you go. Uh, and Asuka, uh, who ends up coming in a little later, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. And she... Uh, <laughs> I like that you give the dark whispers. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she... She's plucky. She's plucky for she's a, a firebrand. For, for a little girl who discovered her mother's body shortly after her suicide and represses her emotions and vows never to cry. <laughs> Shinji, of course, has an Oedipus complex. Um, he uh, witnessed his mother's death who uh, and was abandoned by his father. And um, Ray uh, has all sorts of crazy crap going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they- through pluckiness and determination, <laughs> they'll fight back against the monsters and save humanity. Or go insane? Uh, maybe like the first couple of times they like are working together and fighting monsters, then like shit starts going wrong and they keep watching people die. And it, they tastes keep like they- it tastes like blood! It tastes like blood! So essentially what Anno does is like take these Poor kids mm-hmm. and puts them in like these horrible, like mind, like breaking situations mm-hmm. where they're like facing God and like all of existence and dealing with all their psychological bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy uh, goes in a tube, tube goes in a robot, robot fights monster. There mm-hmm. you go. And uh, me, uh, I should also mention Misato Katsuragi, the caretaker commanding officer. Misato. I remember that she has a pet penguin and drinks beer. Pin pin. Pen pen! Yeah. And uh, definitely doesn't represent, like, the allure of, like, adult sexuality at a very sensitive time in a boy's life. And she definitely doesn't have an electric complex and is consumed with conflicting love and hate for her father. And that's why she tries to find her father uh, in Kai- Kaji's embrace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... One of the big things that this show did differently, uh, right on the surface, like not even within the subtext and the and the psychology and the and the religiosity, is just that the characters, the heroes, instead of like gambate, do it, run, run, go, go, fight to fight to, they got PTSD. Yeah, <laughs> they completely. shut down inside. Shinji's were- like, I don't, I can't do this. He he he's immediately put in a situation. I mean, I mean, from the moment the show started, I was like really into it, just on the basis mm. that this kid doesn't want. To do this, he's fighting back for once. He's, you know, his dad's like, You have to pilot this Ava. And he's like, I don't want to, father. I can't do this. I'm just a little kid. And he's like, You fucking have to. And then they put him into the Ava instead of him. And instead of him becoming this like badass hero, it's like torture for him. It's a nightmare. He's like ripping this other angel apart and he's freaking out. And the, and the Ava takes control over his controls so that, you know, because he can't do it the first time. He's not even able to like go through with it. And so he's just sitting there like watching this like monster. Monster murder this other monster while inside of it, which people also say that him crawling into the Ava is uh, essentially us, our attempt to return to the womb, and his attempt to break out of the Ava is sort of... It's not, and it's literally not figurative. They later reveal that the Ava 01 is his mother's genetic code. Yes, absolutely. It's, he's physically inside his mother. Yeah, come and, and it's, it's yeah. yes, it's all about that stuff. And and we haven't even gotten into the religious overtones going on here. We've only been talking about the the sexuality stuff. So, um I mean, I'm sensing a lot of recurring themes here because we have like big robots and we're going to get into the Kabbalah. Thanks Alan I think Moore. The, the triad, right, is mm. human psychology. Mech animes, mm-hmm. giant robots, otaku stuff, 
mixed with these in, just intense religious symbolism and concepts all thrown together. This is just and and Anu always said he even is self admittedly like semi autistic, if not a hundred percent autistic. He's got a little sprinkle of the Aspie. He has a really hard time communicating, and he said expression is basically the process of creating something that's missing, attempting to get an idea across to someone else, trying to make yourself whole at the same time for those who have a hard time relating to the people around them. This was this is like a, a, his way of just trying to communicate all the things inside of him across to someone else, and he can only do it in this format. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no other way to do that. So that's why you get this tangle of intense, intense... Um, I mean, okay, so you've got the Tree of Life, you've got the Kabbalah, um, Freud, <laughs> you've got Freud. Um, I'm I'm mainly just dealing with the religious mm. stuff right now. You've got um, n- mainly uh, it, the angelic orders, seraphim, all these yes. all these things. Uh, you've got the Shinto, um, Japanese religion. Um, you've got n- mainly dealing the texts of uh, Kojiki and Nihon sh- uh, Shoki, which are the uh, oldest Japanese sort of texts that both um, were historical texts, but also gave the Japanese uh, creation myth, and there was the whole uh, concept of like there's sort of uh, what they kind of get into, especially at the end of the whole series. It's and very the big in the end. The primordial goop and all that transcendence, kind of, stuff. kind of Buddhist non-being and unity within uh, breaking free of a cycle of life and death. Uh, is a huge part of it. And uh, Marcus, actually, you'll appreciate this. Uh, early script revisions were desperately needed because Anno uh, was making the series, and at the time, the Om Shinrikyu attacks happened. Ooh. And he was actually kind of upset that there were so many overlaps with like uh, existentialism, mysticism, and otaku bullshit that was Om Shinrikyu's kind of trade and cap. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Like actually, the people who made uh, the uh, the people who were a part of the Om Shinrikyo cult, they sp- specifically uh, recruited anime nerds and manga nerds. Like that was the people. Like they used. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was the foundation. Asimov's the foundation yeah. was pretty much uh, the uh, I guess of underlying uh, basis mm-hmm. of Om Shinrikyo. Like they. Specifically went for anime people. Yeah, Neon Genesis. You can see it actually a lot of that infuriated Ano, and he made specific alterations to the original series, specifically to kind of like divorce the idea that like, yeah, you can acknowledge the darkness and otaku shit, but like, don't fucking kill people, you maniacs. Right. Right. They also had a uh, Judeo-Christian uh, themes. Adam, Lilith, the Lilum. Oh yeah. Eve, the Lance of Longinus. Of course, we all remember the Lance of Longinus. Mm-hmm. Big part of the show. Here's that side. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, also, uh, the Kabbalistic concept of Adam Kadman, which was a really interesting thing to look up today. It was essentially the idea of like there was a, 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 a like a, a a plot of light where all creation comes from, a sort of like a weird sort of like a a, a goop of its own where sort of all things came from. Um, And and as I said, the tree of life. Um, And uh, I remember I played a game with my friends when we first watched it that every time you saw a cross on screen, you yelled cross. So we would all, yeah, that's a fun game for people to play at home if they want to. You just scream cross. And t- probably take a drink too if you're a drinker, or a shot of heroin if you're uh, <laughs> if you're an addict. Uh, I think I think it'd, I think it would be worthwhile to uh, talk about some of the stuff that uh, the show did absolutely correct because there's a lot of like 
you know, heady anime and heady TV shows out there that don't get as popular because I feel like Evangelion managed to balance the action and like the drama and the tension in a lot of like very I'm flooded with like really memorable episodes, the Magma Diver episode mm. where they had to constantly monitor the uh temperature of the Ava as they tried to recover an Angel's S drive that was like buried under lava. And, you know, that kind of harkened back to a lot of, like, submarine, DOS boot, claustrophobic uh, series. There mm-hmm. was that uh, episode with the rogue American robot uh-huh. with a nuclear drive that they had to shut down because it was, like, going to nuke a city. Uh-huh. Uh, the dynamic between how uh, all the Evas were powered by an umbilical cable. Yeah. And uh, after the cable is disconnected, which it always would, they had a five-minute battery backup timer that made it like so they always had to defeat the monster within a specific time limit. Um, the idea that they would have the guns and the guns wouldn't work, so then they'd have to bust out the, what is it, uh, the uh, sonic knife, the yeah, vibration this, that knife. giant, like, yeah. But it was giant. a box cutter. The 18 field <laughs> is their soul. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so even though it was like a big, like, pow-pow explosion anime, it felt a lot like kind of a, I remember, like Star Trek ship-to-ship combat, where it's a lot of, like, people at consoles being like, shields at 15%. Like, it was, it was very yeah. high tension, very dramatic. Every episode would keep you on the edge of your seat. They were and- impeccable. Uh, action action storytellers. And the thing was, it was 26 episodes, right? Oh, shit, I forgot to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was uh, 26 episodes, but things... There's a bit of a change that happens um, about halfway through the series, and I think that that is also attributed to a lot of what made the show so special for a lot of people. Because I remember I was kind of handed this thing by a friend of mine. I'll credit him. Tim Dean uh, turned me on to this. He said to me he said you know the, the, it starts off like silly you know or not silly but it starts off pin like very pin. regular yeah pin pin animes mac you know oh, kind of no, panty flash teehee right no, Baka. You know, very, we'll be back with more fan service in the next episode <laughs> right very very right down the line but but around episode 16 things begin to change and one uh one account says that the change coincided with Anno's development of an interest in psychology after a friend lent him a book on mental illness and that's when really we just kind of fly completely off the handle of sort of that run of the mill and and where where that whole deconstruction of of um you know uh, of the standard mech anime genre and all these kinds of things start to happen he he decides to just kind of completely go off the script and really just start to break these people down on a personal level which was this very Exciting and um, terrifying, and just kind of gut punch of a thing to happen in a show that you're watching, where you're kind of, it kind of seduces you with the big fun robot fights, and then all of a sudden I'm like dealing with my bullshit with my like mom, <laughs> you know, and, and on like a scary level, and and it and it really was special to me for that reason. I I was really sucked into the show. I I, I found the very first the first half to be incredibly entertaining, and then all of a sudden it was like this special amazing thing that was happening like at me and to me you know um that i had such a personal connection with when i first saw it in college um and we of course have to talk about the final two episodes so this show was building ahead of steam it was affecting people on a deep level they were making people consider things they never considered before oh also it was running on a child's 
uh, time slot, <laughs> and they deemed it too violent. But uh, Otto said, I can't fight it off the top, but he says in the thing, he's like, children should be exposed to this <laughs> at an early age. People should be... <laughs> it's just a little bit true. I'm sorry. Um... But uh, it was gaining popularity. Uh, the character of Ray Ayanami was so fucking popular. And literally, it was just a approachable 14-year-old girl that was just mysterious. Like, right. It was very, you know. Um, and curvy. What? I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were wearing skin-tight suits. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Like I didn't look at Ray cosplay today. No. <laughs> so don't look at me, Marcus. Oh yeah, they were wearing those plug suits. Yeah, um, yeah, they're called plug suits. Mamma mm. <laughs> <laughs> mia! Uh, so, and I think this happens a lot of times. Stuff like Lost and Battlestar Galactica. Anytime a piece of pop culture actually touches upon these larger subjects like identity and religion and development and depression and mental illness and all these things when it builds to a finale people don't want just a resolution of the plot they want a resolution of those issues yes and that's and it's such a monumentally a gigantic task we we it's kind of why we were praising alan moore in our previous episodes because he could stick the landings because he had the individual focus to like do it uh, also, he was working with a much smaller budget. Yes, uh, and that I have I have scoured the internet um, over the past few days uh, in preparation for this, and I get a lot of different accounts. Some people definitely say it was because they ran out of money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that seems like the obvious thing. For by the way, the last two episodes, very little animation, very internal, very weird sort of character deconstructions. It completely goes. I mean, I should, we should just explain what happens. It completely just goes off off the map harder than anything else in the show. It feels like a point. like a like a like a collage or a wishboard like every like there're these little motifs and segments and nothing's quite connected to one another and the characters are addressing each other in ways that like they never did in the show mm. and a lot and it's it's very jarring. It is yes. very it's very in- it's abstract. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of weird kind of close-ups of still images and things like that and just a lot of like weird character testimonials and mm-hmm. and sort of it's just it's very 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 bizarre and avant-garde yes very avant-garde and um other people though say that that's what he did intend that he was the kind of guy who sort of left things up to the last minute and when they got to that part of the show that's the choice he wanted that's what he wanted to do but um it caused a bit of a backlash uh he did receive death threats um mm-hmm. and things of that nature and um other people Loved it. And even today, I have some friends who swear by those final two episodes as the end of the whole thing, and other people who swear by what he would eventually come to make, which was End of Evangelion, a film where he essentially was like, uh, psych, uh, stop sending me death threats. Here's the real Here's a real cool fight scene. Yeah, exactly. Here's a real cool fight scene for half the movie. And then also, by the way, I'm going to mind fuck you again with the final half of the movie, and it's going to be yet another just bonkers ass Mm. fucking primordial soup of an ending that is so good. Yeah, end of Evangelion (laughs) is 
way more satisfying. Yes. Uh, I remember, oh, God, I remember being in college watching this, and they have this just that slow pan of an actual live-action audience watching a movie, and they just start talking about, like, and who the fuck are you sitting there? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's that kind of shit when you're so especially good. young where you're just like, oh, fuck, yeah. It was, it's so good. And, and they gave Asuka, Asuka a uh, cool eye patch. Yeah, they totally do. I should, I should mention, too, that um, there is also Evangelion Death and Rebirth just to clarify in case you were interested in going through the series the first half of that film is a recap of the series and the second half is actually the first third of End of Evangelion so you don't need to watch Death and Rebirth just watch the series Mm -hmm. and then go straight to End of Evangelion after that Um, and uh, yeah I don't know. It, it's 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 this really intense and special thing for me, and it's something that I'll continue to watch through my life. Um, we have to hang out and watch all the uh, all the new movies. So yeah, he's still making Evangelion. I think that that's that's a really awesome thing. It's called Rebuild of Evangelion. Essentially, what happened was he what happened was he decided that um, now he could truly tell the story he always wanted to tell without issues with budget budget situations mm-hmm. now that it's as popular as it is he could go back and make the thing he always wanted to make um so and uh i've seen the first you've seen the first all three no i actually have got i'm so behind so, there, so there's evangelion God, teach one, me sensei <laughs> there's evangelion 1.0 you are in parentheses not in parentheses alone uh that came out in 09 then there's evangelion 2.0 um you can in parentheses not close parentheses, advance. Uh, and then Evangelion 3.0, you can not redo. And uh, we're going to get Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, which will be the conclusion. So that's four movies. I've seen the first two. They introduce new characters, new scenes, uh, the, beautiful animation. It looks absolutely gorgeous. It's really, really incredible. Um, and I haven't seen the third one. It is out, so uh, I didn't realize that it came out earlier this year. Um, and he Yeah, actually, you're a busy man with a girlfriend. He's got shit to do. You're in a band. <laughs> you tour the country. You have a job. You're not in college anymore, old uh, man. You don't have as much anime time. If only. Um, I have plenty of anime time, but I just use it to watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> uh, so he actually... Um, is now working on the final installment of the remake of Evangelion. Um, he had to take some time off because he just made the new Godzilla movie. Shin Gojira. Which yeah. is pretty badass. Uh, cool thing about Shin Gojira, Marcus, if you're questioning maybe should I see this or not, they redesigned Godzilla so that he has an unhinged double jaw and uh, the tip of his uh, tail now has a gross skull face. Ah! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, a few more things about uh, Evangelion. Um, w- one is that, and I, ha- I actually had somebody on Facebook kind of like Debbie down on Evangelion like a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in our group, and I think he kind of was saying like, "Oh, they just threw all these things together," and he even had later admitted that he, you know, didn't um, he, he didn't really like think things through, and he just kind of threw all this stuff together because it would look interesting um, and kind of poo pooed the whole thing. First of all, I would say no matter what, there's still something to get out of that. Second of all, he sort of he contra- he doesn't sort of he contradicts himself a lot in quotes um a big testament to i don't know the fact that he's already freely admitted that he's really bad at communicating with people mm-hmm. um he's also said as the symbols are mixed together for the first time something like an interrelationship or a meaning emerges 
Um, and, and I do think that he did put a lot more thought uh, than that person or his quotes, some of them, gives credit for. Um, yeah. For sure. I mean, it's there's something to be said that if you think Evangelion is the be-all, end-all of psychologically deep narratives. Right. Obviously not. But the of way course. that he used what, what I keep stressing was a very shallow art form and structure to tell this incredibly deep story was revolutionary. And always we're going to give credit for people that broke the mold. Um, I mean, God, like your dad was evil. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. The girl you had a crush on was a gross fuck clone. Uh, God wants you to die and you don't want to let him. Uh, your new best friend that's kind of giving you a gay panic might be also <laughs> God trying to kill you. Uh, you have to actively decide whether humanity should transcend its identity as individual beings. <laughs> and um, There's a giant naked girl in the sky. And it, it was an incredibly personal work for Anno. He's described Ray as a schizophrenic um, that represents Shinji's unconscious. He describes Shinji as uh, a reflection of Anno as a person, both conscious and unconscious. Uh, Kaworu, who ends up being the fifth child and um, some other things, uh, he says is his Jungian shadow, um, which is the unconscious aspect of a person's personality. Um, and I think uh, there's a really cool thing to check out on YouTube. It's called Extracurricular Lesson with Hideaki Anno. And it's him teaching a class of children about animation. And they do this really cool exercise where they all need to create a, a short animation with a circle. So they each draw like very just on, on a few pages. They take a circle and they develop a uh, their own sort of animation with it. And they're all stumped at first because he doesn't tell them what to do, you know, and he sort of supports all the all the work that they do and then he puts it together and like films the sheets and then puts the whole thing together and you watch as this circle goes through this journey that was made by these little kids hands and it's like this amazing thing he also um gets interviewed by them and uh it's a really cool moment um this i mean it's a very sad moment this little girl says uh do you like the anime you make and Anna responds well i like some but hate others little girl what parts don't you like Anno? the parts where i see myself Aww. Uh, it's, it's, he, he hates himself. He's, he's a very deeply troubled person. Um, and the only way he can communicate is, is through these sort of works. And he's also made some films, some really interesting stuff. There's a lot of other cool things to check out in the Gygax. Gynax. Gynax, my We did bad. Gygax on the Dungeons and Dragons episode. Gotcha. That's what it is. That's why I keep saying Gygax. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He's just he's a fascinating guy. Um, he 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 also I, there was this one great quote. I, maybe I'm not gonna be able to find it uh, uh, this quickly, but he he speaks about Evangelion as a piece of his soul, and every time he works on it, little little chunks of him kind of like of his soul sort of pop off onto the work. Um, Neato. <laughs> yeah, he's a deep, interesting, fucked dude, and um, he's still making work, and that's that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And uh, all of us are interesting and fucked. Yeah, and I and feel I, like when you watch Evangelion, I even even to this day, you see these characters that are suffering and like trying to to work through an impossible situation, and you can't help but like see a little bit of yourself and see yeah. or see a part of like the old you. When you see these characters uh, uh, kind of come to terms with the things they need to come to terms with. And, uh, yeah. Um, I also want to say, like, uh, I haven't dealt with, like, clinical depression, but I get sad, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, think about that. Like, he made this with that. And yeah. maybe you can do that if you deal with clinical depression. And and I would I would consider maybe trying to find a way to, like, make work out of that. No, it's—you—it's— it's, 
it was one of the first big pop culture explosions that acknowledged a reality that many people live with. Um, I remember when I watched an Evan- end of Evangelion when Shinji jerked off over his unconscious friend's body because he accidentally saw her boobs. I was like, oh, man, I've been there, buddy. <laughs> Hashtag it gets better. <laughs> so um, uh, if you want to learn more, uh, I would highly suggest checking out those videos on YouTube. But also um, there's a manga out uh, by... Katsuhiko, I suck at saying Japanese people's names. Uh, Shimamoto, it's a weird nickname they gave that guy. Uh, uh, the name of the uh, the manga is uh, I, I'm just gonna spell it A O I Aoi Space Hono Aoi Hono, and it's a coming of age manga that's actually about his time at Osaka University of the Arts with Ano and the others that formed Gainax. So that'll actually give you a history of the beginnings of that company. Also, um, uh, Insufficient Direction is a manga by Ano's wife, Moyoko Ano, who is a manga artist herself, and it's about their marriage. And so you can learn a lot about it. It's it's very much about Ano and his obsession with, uh, you know, all, all the sort of all anime and all that kind of stuff. And I know what you're thinking. Holden, Jake, Marcus, what about that weird-ass side anime about all the uh, Evangelion characters if they're in, like, a funny high school comedy? And to that I answer, nobody watched that, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know it'd be great if Evangelion lacked all the cool shit that made it Evangelion. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's it. I mean, I- I'm tapped. What about you, Jake? Uh, I think this was a. Uh, I think we did we did some justice, and it's definitely a series worth revisiting. Absolutely, I know I'm gonna actually go force my girlfriend to watch it uh, probably in the next week or so. I'm sorry, Lex. Oh, let me know uh, when you get to the, when you get to the third movie. We yeah. can we can do a slam jam. Yeah, awesome. Uh, uh, wait, what's the definition of a slam jam? <laughs> uh, you know, you all get yeah, old orgy Jake back at it again. <laughs> you got me. I thought it would be more like include like jam, like there was some jelly involved. I mean, there will be marmalade. (laughs) I threaten you that. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. Go to dorkly.com, see the stuff I write, and uh, go on the Drawfee channel where I regularly sass people who are trying to make art. Uh, Holdnators Ho on Twitch, uh, at uh, Holdnators on Twitter, and uh, I don't know. Go to the Facebook page, Wizard and the Bruiser. Uh, a lot of great discussions going on there. And please uh, rate and review. Even if you, you say that we we stink and our our words are bad boy words, just, just give us five stars. Mm. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. <laughs>